0: It be all of you, Lord God. None of me. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You guys may be seated. Awesome. If you guys have your Bibles this morning, go ahead and turn your Bibles at first to. Luke chapter 8, since we are teaching in Luke chapter 8. And then once you find Luke chapter 8, I want you guys to turn to, put a bookmark there, and then go to Ephesians chapter 3. The title of my study today is Rooted and Grounded in Christ. And this morning we're going to go over one of the popular parables that Jesus teaches, the parable of the sower. And taking a a study on the different soils that Jesus refers to in people's lives. And at times that's the state of our heart, whether it's going to be good soil or soil that is dry and And rocky. And uh, this theme came to my mind as I was studying this chapter how we are the branches. Christ is the vine. And we wanted to be rooted and grounded in Christ. And then Ephesians 3 comes to my mind. Ephesians chapter 3, beginning with verse 14. I want to try reading something with you guys this morning. Uh, a little bit of back and forth if you guys will participate this morning. So are you guys there on Ephesians chapter 3? Everyone there? Good. Howard, are you there? Yes. Because I'm going to have you lead us in the even verses. You're going to lead the congregation. And I will read the odd verses So, Howard, with a loud voice, why don't you read us, beginning with Ephesians 3, verse 14, and we're going to go up until verse 21. For this reason, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. Of God. So, this is what Paul's heart was that he wanted us to be rooted and grounded in what? In the love of God, so that we can know the depth, the length, the width of it. And this is our, our illustration today. We are God's branches. Jesus called us the branches. And we are to go and bear fruit in this world. And how do we do that? Well, we got to first take inventory and evaluation in our life on the condition of our heart. Jesus is going to talk about this this morning. So now turn to Luke chapter 8. And we're going to begin reading with verse 1. It says, Now it came to pass afterward, that he went through every city and village preaching and bringing the glad tidings of the kingdom of God and the twelve were with him. And certain women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities, Mary called Magdalene, one of whom had come seven demons, and Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's steward, and Susanna, And many others who provided for him from their substance. So, one thing I recognize in the first verse of chapter 8 is that Jesus here is purposed to spread the gospel to all of Israel. He was sent as the Messiah to bring the broken Israel, the broken Israelites, back to the Father. And this is exactly what he's doing, fulfilling the will of his Father in heaven going to every city, every village, preaching. We know Jesus' ministry was one of preaching, of teaching, of healing, casting out demons. And he's bringing glad tidings of what? The kingdom of God. You will see that one of Jesus' favorite themes to teach on, which, by the way, sometimes Jesus taught topical sermons. We see this one of his favorite themes to teach on was the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. A lot of times you're going to hear Jesus speak to his disciples and say the kingdom of heaven is like, and then he gives them a parable and he constantly repeats that phrase. And who is he teaching this to? He's teaching it, it says, to the 12 who were with him the 12 disciples, but not only that, it says in verse 2 and 3, there's a list of women who follow him. Now, this is the first women's ministry. We see them, and they're leading the charge. Keep in mind that when Jesus was on the cross that these same women, Mary called Magdalene, she's there, and after Jesus is put into the tomb, we see the women first going to Jesus. And they're leading the charge in this. Now, a little hoorah for women. But one thing that I also note in verse two is that Mary Magdalene and others were healed of evil spirits. These are demonic forces and they're very real. Last night, my wife and I were talking about experiences that we personally have seen in churches where demonic forces are, are are present and it's a real thing. And we've seen it with our own eyes. I remember one time I got a little kind of freaked out as one of the a younger high school kid came up to the high school ministry and partially maybe a, a little bit of the cycle was, was kind of tweaked in his head. But at one point he looked down the hall as me and pastor Scott were there and he was just staring like this dead stare. And Scott was like, "What? what is it? And he's like, they're there, man. I could see them. They're right there. And I was like, I'm not going over there then. <laughs> but we prayed with this guy. Um, so there are battles that are being fought spiritually. Ephesians 6.12, you guys know this verse. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, But against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. So how do we fight these spiritual battles? On our knees in prayer. Get on our face. And we don't, our physical flesh can't combat these things in our own strength. We have to ask Jesus into the situation But the Bible teaches us, greater is he who is in you, that's Jesus, than he who is in the world, that's Satan. And when the light shines, darkness can't stay. You see, when you turn on the light switch, the darkness has to leave. You bring light into that room. It's that same spiritual truth. You want to get rid of those demonic oppressions in your life? Bring more light into your life. Now, I also know that here serving Jesus as all these women, we remember that Jesus was telling the sinful woman who was anointing his feet, you are forgiven. And he gave us that lesson that those who are forgiven much love much. So this is our call, that when we are forgiven, let's use that grace that God has given us and pour it back onto him and worship. So now Jesus is going about with his ministry and with his disciples and with these women, and he gets to a point now where he's teaching the crowds, the multitudes, they're gathering. So we begin now in verse four. It says, "And when a great multitude had gathered, and they had come to him from every city, he spoke. By a parable. So if you guys are taking note this morning, which I encourage us every week to be taking notes, when it comes to parables, the parables, they're used by Jesus to explain an earthly story that's illustrating a heavenly truth. It's an earthly story that's illustrating a heavenly truth. That's what a parable is. Now many times as teachers, we can tell when during a Bible study when people are engaged and I can also tell when their minds go into NASA airspace When all of a sudden, oh, we got a floater. There he goes. We could see him. And sometimes in order to, peep, to keep people engaged, it's good to tell a story. Sometimes they're like, you know, it reminds me of one time when I was little and all of a sudden people were like, oh, wait, wait, he's going to say something funny that was, happened when he was a kid. But people engage more when you say you're going to tell a story. Now, these parables, they were used to help us to better understand heaven. And they're also used, though, however, in such a way that only spiritually minded people should fully understand see, in Matthew chapter 13, verse 12, out of the New, New Living Translation, Jesus says, To those who listen to my teaching, more understanding will be given, and they will have an abundance of knowledge. But for those who are not listening, even what little understanding they have will be taken away from them. Now, perhaps during some of Jesus' Messages during his preachings and teachings, such as the Beatitudes, the Sermon on the Mount. Perhaps there were times when people would respond differently to his message, and he could see that happening as the Holy Spirit's moving. And as Jesus would see these different responses and different people, suddenly he's reminded of the farmer who farms and sows seeds and the farming experience. And I could picture Jesus teaching at times. And he could spot the different listeners in the room and who's active and engaged. And he could see when somebody didn't have a good night's rest. So they're like, the head nod is happening. It's like, oh, 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 And Jesus can see this. So then he remembers, oh man, when I teach, it's like a sower who's giving out seeds. And some seeds are taking root. Now let's look at the parable that he gives in verse five. It says a sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some fell by the wayside and it was trampled down and the birds of the air devoured it. Some fell on rock. And as soon as it sprang up, it withered away because it lacked moisture and some fell among thorns and the thorns sprang up with it and choked it. But others fell on good ground, sprang up and yielded a crop a hundredfold. And when he had said these things, he cried out, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Wow. Now this illustration It would have been a common sight for the Israelites. You see, they lived in those rural societies, farmers with farming as a way of life. And the farmer would be generous with his seed as he would sow it generously, desiring not to miss any opportunity, giving fair seed to all of his farm. But there were these birds And sometimes they would come and they would eat the seed and the farmer would be like, oh man. And there was also portions of, of rocky ground which would cause the seed to be without nutrients. And then there would be other parasites that lived on the farm like thorns and other plants that would kill the good plants. But sometimes when the soil was good and the seed is rooted and grounded, the fruit would come forth. So that's the illustration that's given. Now, perhaps if you had never heard this story and I explained this, you would think purely about farming and about agriculture. But Jesus wanted to give this to his disciples and to the multitude to teach them a heavenly truth. In verse 9, it says, Then his disciples asked him, saying, What does... This parable mean. Now this is great when I see that the disciples are asking this question, because I realize the disciples themselves were confused as to why Jesus is talking about farming, in the middle of his preaching. And keep in mind, I am picturing Jesus is is giving a message on the Beatitudes: love thy neighbor, you know, be good to those who are hateful against you. And he sees, oh man, some people aren't here. And all of a sudden he's like, you know, these guys ever seen the way farmers farm? And he starts to give out this parable. And the disciples are like, wait, what? He was just talking about spiritual things. And then why is he talking about farming? What's going on here? So they asked Jesus, what did that, why did you say that? What did that mean? And then in verse 10, and he said to you, it has been given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God. But to the rest, it is given in parables that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. Right here, Jesus is actually quoting from the Old Testament, Isaiah chapter 6. And he's explaining to his disciples that for those who do not believe, even though that they see Christ with their physical eyes, they don't see with the spiritual eyes the truth from heaven that's right there in front of them. And though they can hear those listening with their physical ears, they did not listen with their hearts and they didn't take it in internally and apply it. It reminds me, there's a song, perhaps you guys have heard it, by Simon and Garfunkel, The Sound of Silence. They turned it into a meme and destroyed it, but there's a phrase in it. Um, Some of the lyrics that reminded me usually uh, of some spiritual truths, and I'll quote this this lyric to you. It says, And in the naked light I saw 10,000 people, Maybe more. People talking without speaking. People hearing without listening. People writing songs that voices never share. No one dared disturb the sound of silence. And fool said I, you do not know. Silence like a cancer grows. Hear my words that I might teach you. Take my arms that I might reach you but my words like silent raindrops fell. See, this is the, the world that, yeah, it's, it's a song by Simon and Garfunkel, but there is some truth to it. That I see, you know what? That's how we are sometimes. People, they listen, they hear, but they're not taking it really in so that they can learn from it, from the truth. What is truth? Now, this parable, thank God, Jesus explains it to us. You see, with parables, sometimes there is no explanation for them. Sometimes Jesus would just give a parable and expect his disciples and us to absorb it, interpret it, and try to find the meaning of it. And sometimes that would cause debate and to this day in the theologian world and Christian world society, something that is noteworthy in a parable, there is a term called expositional constancy. And that term expositional constancy, it basically, it helps in understanding the parables to realize that whenever there's a, a figure that is given a symbol in one passage Every time that same figure is used in a figurative way, symbolic, not literal, it represents the same thing. So in the parables, whenever you see a seed, it's going to represent the same thing in all the parables. Whenever you see the world or the, the field, like the, the field, it always represents the world. The seed always represents the, world, the word of God. So it's good to understand that as you look at the parables on how you interpret them. Now, for some of them, I can't claim to know 100%. Oh, this is exactly what the parable was saying because Jesus didn't say that. So I'm not going to add to it. I do remember, however, one time hearing uh, the teaching of the parable of the man who hid his treasure in a field. And then... Later on, he goes and, and he buys the field entirely so that he can get that treasure back. And sometimes I've heard teachers teach it as, well, that is us. And we sell everything that we have so that we can get that treasure, the truth, the gospel, and, and have it. Which, you know, that's, that's good, you know. Abandon your worldly pleasures to, to get the truth of the gospel But then when you look at at expositional constancy, you realize that Jesus never told us that for every single one of us that we need to sell everything we have to follow after him. He did that with one man. But actually, the man who sold, gave everything that he had was Jesus. And the field is the world and we are Jesus's treasure. So two different views of one parable. And then I remember one time hearing somebody teach it in a a different way. And as I was sitting there in the the Bible study, I was young in the Lord. And I was like, no, he's teaching it wrong. And I just tuned everything out afterwards that the pastor was saying. And the Lord ministered to me and said, hey, hey, man, Sal, there's still a lot you can glean from this Bible study that this guy's giving here. And I realized, okay, you know what? I, I'm not a hundred percent sure on this. I got to just be open to what the Lord wants to speak to me through this, but expositional constancy keep that in mind as you study the Bible as you study the parables now, as we look at this parable, keep in mind, you guys might be entirely one of these soils that Jesus is going to interpret, but also Christians believers here this morning. This can be an example of things in our heart that need to be open to hearing something that we're closed off to. Sometimes we only want to hear about grace and forgiveness. But then when the preacher starts talking about tithing or judgment or loving your neighbor, blah, we don't, it's like, no, we don't want to hear that. So our heart gets hardened to that issue. And in that sense, our heart in that area of life is like the stony ground or the birds come and take that seed away and we don't even get a a portion of it at all because we're closed off to it. So this isn't just for non-believers. This is also the condition of our own heart. So let's look at verse 11. Now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. And again, the seed, it's sent out by the sower. One thing I like about in this interpretation, Jesus doesn't say whether the sower is God or whether the sower is somebody giving the word. And I also recognize that the sower still sowed onto sow, onto stony ground. He still sowed by the wayside. And one thing I recognize about Jesus and his ministry, he still went to people who he knew was going were going to reject him. And for me personally, it encourages me to follow in that example because I don't know if somebody is going to open their hearts and receive the word. So people who I might think are stony ground or, who are not going to receive the word i should still sow to them give them that good word and then there is the balance of don't casting your pearls before swine of knowing hey if they're just going to mock you and and criticize you and they're, they're not ready yet having that discernment in verse 12 those by the wayside are the ones who hear then the devil comes and takes away the word out of their hearts lest they should believe and be saved so first here we look at the dead hearts those who are have no spiritual life those who are not spiritual and as soon as the word goes out to them like nope sorry i got to go like hey brother, do you want do you want to come to church, dude, today? Do you want to come visit? And it's like, nope, sorry, don't do that. I, I, I don't need that. It's not for me. That's that by the wayside. They don't want anything to do with it. And then for us believers here, sometimes too, we'll be hearing a Bible study and be like, oh, man, yeah, you know what? This is a really good study for Sister Francis. Yeah, she should really hear this. Like, this she has to hear this. I got to get this study over to her. And they don't take any of the study in for themselves and remember what the Lord is wanting to speak to them. But they're just thinking, oh, this study, is it's, it's not for me. You know, the, this, all, all that part of the study, the forgiveness, the grace, the freedom, yeah, I like that part. But the part about conviction and, and repentance, no, no, that part wasn't for me. It doesn't apply to my life. Sometimes we are like that. So may we not be those who are by the wayside, the dead hearts. And then secondly, look at verse 13. But the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear, receive the word with joy. And these have no root, who believe for a while and in a time of temptation fall away. So, this is what I call the emotional experience. Somebody receives that word. They're like, oh God, yes, please, this is this is what I need. Or, ooh, this is a powerful truth, and I'm I'm moved by it. Yes, I'm I'm inspired. But there's no root. And then after they hear this word, they don't change at all their lifestyle. It reminds me of the man Jesus talked about who looks in a mirror and sees, oh man, I I got dirt all over my face. My hair looks like a cockatoo right now. And then they look at themselves in the mirror and then they walk away and totally forget. Like, oh dude, you had dirt all over your face and your hair looks like Salvador's hair sometimes in the morning. (laughs) And if they don't fix it, then they're going to stay looking that way. So we should... Make those changes in our life, in our lifestyle, in our hairstyles. I'm just kidding. No growth. These are people who they don't get rooted and grounded. It said they have no root, right? So that they don't gather into a spiritual family. They're not reading. They're not praying, they're not going to church. How many times I I can tell you guys when I got to work at Calvary Chapel Golden Springs and answer the phone calls for radio and deal with people who were going through issues, which I was blessed to do. And the Lord gave me an opportunity to do that. And how many times so many people who had these problems that were sometimes tragic, I would ask them, "Are, are you going to church? Are you attending a church? And they'd say no. Like, I'm like, okay, Well, are you reading your Bible right now? No, I mean, not really. Like, are you praying sometimes? Like, man, okay, we got to work on these things. We got to get back to the basics, back to the simplicity of what it is to be in a relationship with Jesus. Reading your Bible, praying, going to church. You see, there's that importance of fellowship. Jesus said, do not forsake the gathering of the brethren. And how important it is to have accountability in our lives. You know, uh, as as ministers, as as leaders in the church, we are called to be around brothers as iron sharpens iron, and the same thing for women. That still sharpens steel, maybe I don't know. (laughs) I'm terrible sometimes (laughs) but we need that accountability in verse 14 now the ones that fell among thorns are those who when they have heard go out and are choked with cares riches and pleasures of life you see right here I wrote in my notes, cares, riches, and pleasures. These are the snares that can be in our life, in the the believer and in the non-believer. The cares of this life, those could be good things and bad things. Sometimes we make good things our God, not the creator. The cares of this life, I got to get my kids to soccer practice on Sunday mornings. The good things in life well, I, I got to make sure that um, work is taken care of and you know I, I don't have time for church because I got to provide for my family. These are the cares of life. And sometimes we put the cares of life before the Lord. So we need to be careful with that. Our foundation needs to be the Lord. Those who are choked out by riches Jesus said how hard it is for a rich man to enter into the kingdom. He didn't say it was not possible, but he said how hard it is. It's like someone trying to go through the eye of a needle, a camel going through the eye of a needle. And when you have riches as what you are after, what you're seeking in this life, that's where your heart's going to be. Your heart's not going to be with the Lord. Your heart's going to be where the desires of your your eyes are. I want to get that new car. I want to get uh, the new motorcycle. I have to be careful with that myself. One's enough. <laughs> and you know, if I was to start prioritizing my my schedule so that way I I could work more and focus less on the church that so I can make more money. That was why I left my home church was so I could start working a trade in HVAC so I could provide to start a ministry. So then when sometimes the, the choice comes to, hey, there's some overtime if you want to take it. You don't have to take it at work. um, And it's on a day when there there's something going on with the church and I have to make that decision. I pray that the Lord keeps me in that place where I'm always choosing Him. And his work, the Father's work. I think of David that in his prayer, he says, God, don't give me so much that I forget you. And don't give me so little that I'm tempted to steal. See, there's a good balance in our walk. And thirdly, in this type of soil, the pleasures of life. Now, this is right here. This is where sin enters the pleasures of life, living luxuriously, putting your focus on the flesh, on sin. What are the pleasures of life? The party scene. I'll tell you guys, alcohol has plagued this church, our church, the church as a whole. And it, it, it's something that it's, it causes a, a root of, of wickedness in our lives. Now, I've sat down with, with believers who ha- have told me that they have that liberty. And then I've watched as time goes by a, a, of the tragic effects of alcohol in that person's life. And you know what? Far be it that we should stumble someone. You out there, if we're if we're out there in the in the public and and taking that alcohol and and saying, Oh, I, I'm fine, I can handle this, you know, it's my my Christian liberty. Yeah, but you don't know if the person across the table who knows that you go to church is like, oh, well, they're doing it, so I could do it. And all of a sudden they go back to it, and then they get ensnared by it, and they're Breaking down and, and now they're they're far from the Lord so that's why you won't see me drinking and that's why you won't see me ever saying that it's okay for a Christian to drink you won't and in this church where if you guys desire to to serve that's one of the things that you know we got to lay them that thing aside. And this is what's going to cause, though, that lack of spiritual growth, the spiritual maturity. So we need to be careful on the pleasures of life. What about even social media? You know, we have to be careful with that. That could become an addiction. And on top of that, too, this, the what the Internet has right there at the fingertips, all the pleasures of the world. You could type in anything you want and search it pornography, all, all this wickedness, pleasures of life, we need to put that aside. Even the things that are are close to it. Sometimes you say, oh, well, how close can I get before I cross that line? And you just want to get so close to it where you feel like, oh, I'm still good. I'm not crossing the line. I'm not physically going out there. No, this is exactly what Satan wants to do in our lives, is get us close to the edge and pull you in. And we don't even realize that when we're close to the edge, he already has us. He's hindering that spiritual growth in our life. So may we not be those seeds who are choked out with the cares, riches, and pleasures of life who are not growing spiritually. Remember Paul said, you guys should already be teachers by now, but I have to teach you now with the simple truths of the word. When you guys should be t- eating steak right now and, and giving other people milk, you guys are on the, the milk bottle yourself. Let us grow mature in the Lord and be encouraged by this. Take this as, a, as a, an opportunity, as a ch- not a challenge, but an encouragement, an exhortation to take that spiritual maturity, that spiritual growth. And then in verse 15, but the ones that fell on the good ground are those who having heard the word with a noble and good heart, keep it and bear fruit with patience. So this is where we want to be. And this is where we want other people to be. Who receive the message, the gospel, receive the preaching and the teaching, and they take it and they apply it to their life. They make those changes. They get the, the, the dummy phone, they, they put themselves away from the bars and from the friends who are gonna pull them back into a, a worldly lifestyle. Jesus said, if your hand is causing you to sin, cut it off. And if your eye is causing you to sin, pluck it out. And he's not saying literally cut off your hand and pluck out your eye. He's saying this is the seriousness of sin in our life. How serious we need to deal with it. To flee from youthful lust. To flee from temptation. And this is, as we do this now, as we allow ourselves to be abiding in Jesus, guess what? the fruit it's going to come forth naturally you don't have to work and create your vision board and uh, your five steps of how you're going to plan your ministry when you allow the holy spirit to just fill you when you allow his word to come inside of you the fruit it births naturally the holy spirit will do the work you just have to open yourself up to it if you are attached to jesus that fruit, it's going to come forth naturally. You don't have to strive and press out the fruit. We don't see trees who are striving to push out the oranges. They're not like, Ugh. no, it just comes out naturally. Why? Because they're rooted and grounded. They have the nutrients there. The roots go deep. When you're invested deeply in the things of the Lord, you're going to absorb those nutrients and fruit will come forth. In verse 16, No one when he has lit a lamp covers it with a vessel or puts it under a bed, but sets it on a lampstand that those who enter may see the light. For nothing is secret that will not be revealed, nor anything hidden that will not be known and come to light. So this is actually a second parable in this morning's message. And the parable of the revealed light. Now in verse 17 here, verse 17, it's usually quoted for the discovery of, of secret crimes or secret sin. But that's not necessarily what Jesus was trying to emphasize right here. Though that is true in 1 Corinthians 4, 5, it says, Don't make judgments about anyone ahead of time before the lord returns for he will bring our darkest secrets to light and will reveal our private motives then god will give to each one whatever praises due so it is true yes what is done in the dark will come to light and as we are sa- saved abiding in christ we don't have to worry we know that jesus is going to take care of that however now In this parable, in verse 17, when Jesus is saying that, the truths that he's referring to here, he's talking about the gospel and about the the truths of the kingdom of heaven, how they're being revealed to the disciples, specifically to them. And for now, it was only dimly, and it was going to be a foreshadowing of what was to come, but soon there'd be people shouting this truth from the rooftop, the disciples would spread forth. The early church, the book of Acts, and they would go to the far reaches of the world. And eventually, the things that were given to the disciples in secret would be shouted on the rooftops. And this is what we are given here, the message that we are to put forth in our friends, our families, our co-workers to shout that truth out, not to hide the light, the truth that you've been given, but we put it on a lampstand for others to see. In verse 18, Jesus says, Therefore take heed how you hear, for whoever has, to him more will be given, and whoever does not have, even what he seems to have, will be taken from him see, the Lord said, you've been faithful in a few things. I'm going to make you ruler over many things in another parable. And this is always the process of God. Unless you are faithful in those little things that God has laid before you, why do you expect he's going to lead you to any bigger thing? There's a lot of, sometimes our our desires are to jump into something big and to see God do something really big in our life, but yet we're not faithful in the little things. In verse 19, Then his mother and brothers came to him and could not approach him because of the crowd. And it was told him by some who said, Your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. But he answered and said to them, My mother and my brothers are these who hear the word of God and do it. Now, in this portion, we recognize Jesus had brothers. Now, this isn't a put down of his brothers and his mom. He's not saying, Ah, it's just my mom and my brothers outside, who cares? He's not putting them down. What Jesus is declaring is is that for the people who hear the word of God and do it, that's how close we are to him. As close as that relationship between a mother and a son, a brother and a brother. We are that close when we listen to the word of God and obey and do that word. You see, Jesus would refer to those who heard the word of God and did it to be like that man who built his house on the rock and that when the waves came, they weren't able to knock down the house. And somebody who doesn't listen is someone who builds on sand and when the storm comes, the house is knocked down. In our last few verses, we're going to read up to verse 25 this morning. Something we see here, after Jesus gives his disciples... A great lesson on being rooted and grounded. Next comes the testing. The wind and the waves. In verse 22, it says, Now it happened on a certain day that he got into a boat with his disciples. And he said to them, Let us cross over to the other side of the lake. And they launched out. And as they sailed, he fell asleep. And a windstorm came down on the lake. And they were filling with water and were in jeopardy. And they came to him and awoke him saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. Now notice in this part right here, they had to wake up Jesus during the storm. So Jesus was doing what? He was sleeping. Want to know why Jesus was able to sleep during the storm? He was rooted and grounded in God and his father. He knew It's not my time. You constantly hear Jesus saying, oh, my time is not yet. It's not yet. And then later on, he would say, my time is coming. My time's at hand. But he knew my time's not yet. It's all good. We're going to go across this lake. He's sleeping. The disciples are like, the storm is going to kill us. Jesus, you got to wake up. And he's like, dude, it's chill. It says in the middle of verse 24, then he arose and rebuked the wind and the raging of the sea. And they ceased. There was a calm. But he said to them, Where is your faith? And they were afraid and marveled, saying to one another, Who can this be? For he commands even the winds and water, and they obey him. So first they were taught to be rooted and grounded in God, and then they were tested. So this morning, we've been taught on those different soils. Are you open to being tested? Are you ready for that? I used to have a friend, when I would pray with him, and I would bring up the, the theme of, of God asking him to make us patient and, and to give us strength, and he would say, interrupt me in the middle of the prayer and g- say, Lord, not me though. I don't, I don't want to go through that because I, I know that I don't want to be tested, Lord, in that area. I don't want to be tested in patience. And at the, after I would pray, I'd be like, are you all right, bro? (laughs) Like you just interrupt me in prayer, dude. And he was like, no, bro. But like, I I heard the pastor say, like, if you ask God to, you know, to help you to be patient, he's going to send you tests to make you patient. And I was like, bro, you're going to get the test either way. Now, whether you're going to be patient in it or not is up to, you're asking God to not make you patient through that test. And I saw that happen in his life and he learned. So this morning, may we ask that God prepare us, that God be with us in the storm and also have the hope and know that Jesus can rebuke the wind and the raging of the water in our life. he could calm the storm, take you through it. Next week, we're going to find out that It is very likely that this storm that they experienced was actually caused by demonic oppression, demonic forces. We're going to look at the man who was possessed. He hung around the tombs and the gatherings. But before we get there, this is Sunday, communion Sunday. So I would like to ask if uh, we could get the communion board to... uh, Start passing that out there on top of it already. I see them getting the stuff. Um, And this morning, I want to play a song of worship before we take communion or as we're taking communion. Let's see. Heavenly Father, just and we'd be open to your spirit.
1: And I realize just how beautiful you are And how great your affections are for me And oh, how He loves us so Oh, how He loves us How He loves us so
0: This morning, before you take communion, there's things that you want to get right before the Lord, that you need to lay aside, and you want to partake in a worthy manner. If that's you this morning, just go ahead and stand up to your feet. standing this morning. Father, we ask for your forgiveness, for your cleansing, Lord God. We are sinners, Father. May your Holy Spirit fill us, that we can change, Lord God. Father, help us, Lord God, to follow after you. May we never give up, Father. Give us that strength. We stand in your promises. Father, we love you, Lord. We thank you. Let's all stand this morning as we have communion. I always want to remind us what communion is in our life and the example set forth by Jesus. Peter outlines it for us in Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 11, he says in verse 23, for I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you That the Lord Jesus, on the same night that he was betrayed, he took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So let's partake of the bread together. Thank you, Jesus. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. This do as often.
1: Are his portion and he is our prize. Drawn to redemption by the grace in his eyes. If his grace is an ocean, we're all sinking. And heaven needs earth like an unforeseen kiss in my heart turns me inside of my chest. I don't have time to maintain these regrets when I think about
0: As a new life, a new heart, Father, may we go forward this week, Father, in Your hope, in Your promise, Father. We love You, Lord. It's in Your holy name we pray. Amen. Amen. I do want to announce. Uh, if you guys are here this morning. Have a special day coming up, and that is my father's birthday. So, <laughs> for a moment, do you want to do that now or later? We'll do that later. But we I love you guys. We'll see you um, if you guys have any time that you want to uh, help serve this week. Um, we're going to be doing some painting over at the new facility in Glendora uh, anytime throughout the week. If you would see, you have some time. Um, Go ahead and let me know, and I'll, I'll coordinate that with you guys. So we love you guys, and we'll see you uh, next Sunday here still in my backyard. And we'll let you know as uh, time draws near when we're going to open the place up. All right? God bless you guys. We'll see ya.